0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, the groomers have flocked to Louisiana to speak out against a bill that would prohibit the sexualization of children in public school. At the same time, and on a very much related note, a new report says that 25% of current high school students identify as LGBT. It's all part of the plan, which we'll talk about today. Also, the Netherlands legalized euthanasia, or post-birth abortion relief for toddlers, Brittany Griner speaks out in favor of men playing women's sports, and Whoopi Goldberg claims that the Bible endorses sex change surgeries for children. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Your online data includes personal information such as your name, address, phone number, email address, financial information, and login credentials. Hackers want to steal this information and sell it on the dark web. For uh, where they can use it for various criminal activities such as phishing, ransomware, and identity theft. Needless to say, it's incredibly important that you use a VPN to prevent that from happening. But choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. That's why we recommend using ExpressVPN every time you go online. ExpressVPN makes you anonymous online by camouflaging your IP address and replacing with a different secure IP of your choice. ExpressVPN also encrypts all of your data so that it's protected from hackers and anyone else that's trying to spy on you. I love ExpressVPN because it doesn't log your activity. Lots of uh, cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They've even developed a technology that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN is incredibly easy to use. Just fire up the app, click one button, and that's it. Plus, it works on all of my devices, my phone, my laptop, even my Wi-Fi router. if you're like me and you believe that your internet data belongs to you, then ExpressVPN is the answer. Visit expressvpn.com Walsh and get three months free. That's exprssvpn.com slash Walsh, expressvpn.com Walsh to learn more. The national backlash against the grooming and sexualization of children in school took far too long to materialize, but better late than never when it comes to something like this. And now, as we've seen, states across the country, the, the sane ones anyway, have started to pass laws legally protecting kids from this kind of abuse. The latest to wade into these waters is Louisiana, where a couple of pieces of legislation were just advanced out of the state's House Education Committee and are now headed to the floor of the House. So they uh, certainly have a while to go before they are made into law, but they're on the way. The Daily Signal has the details on this. It says New Louisiana legislation would ban public school teachers and personnel from discussing sexual orientation and gender identity with students from kindergarten through the end of high school. That's not all. Republican Louisiana State uh, Representative Doty Horton's HB 466 would also prevent teachers from discussing their own sexual orientation or gender identity with students or using pronouns for a student that differ from the pronouns that reflect the sex indicated on the student's birth certificate. If the parents provide written permission, school employees could use pronouns for a student that differ from the pronouns on their birth certificate. So take note of that last part, right? The bill still allows kids to be identified by preferred pronouns, quote-unquote, merely stipulating that the parents have to be involved in that decision. This is a major concession the Republicans in that state have made, and one that never should have been made. Uh, Schools should not be lying to kids about their identity or participating in the lie, even if the parents want them to. Whether the parents want it or don't want it, the school shouldn't do it. Also, there's no point in a compromise of this sort. The left will shriek in horror anyway. They will be sent into convulsions of demonic rage, vomiting and crawling up the walls like Linda Blair and the Exorcist, no matter what. Anything less than a full capitulation, anything short of fully sacrificing our children on the LGBT altar with no conditions, a full sacrifice, anything less than that, will be considered a genocidal act of homophobia and transphobia. So you might as well just draw a hard line, right? Um, you might as well you know, deal in... in, in uh, you, you understand that this is good and evil, black and white, and that there's no gray area here, because anything less, again, than full capitulation, this is how they're going to react. Case in point, here was the reaction when the Education Committee voted to advance the pronouns bill. Um, listen to the, the the crowd in the background.
1: As amended favorably to the House floor by a seven to five vote committee.
0: Uh, do I have a, is there a motion to adjourn? Thank you. Now, to be clear again, they are wailing in horror like the souls of the damned in hell because of a bill that simply prohibits teachers from secretly referring to children by preferred pronouns. The law only makes it illegal for schools to hide a child's gender transition, and that's what they're screaming about. Of course, before the legislation advanced through the committee, there was a whole parade of uh, circus freaks who showed up to voice their disapproval. Here's a, an apparent reject from the Blue Man Group, a, a they-them drag queen testifying against HB 466, which prevents teachers from uh, discussing gender identity and sexual, sexuality, uh, sexual orientation with children. Um, here he is. Listen.
2: Thank you all for letting me speak. I believe we are all here for the same reason, which is to make schools a safe place for students and for faculty to thrive. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to share this space with you. But like I said, I am Maxwell. I am trans. I am Big Gay Baby. My pronouns are they, them. What are yours? I'm here to ask you to vote no on HB 466. Speaking before you today is a 27-year-old drag artist that lives every day to secure kindness, validation, love, and acceptance for the wounded child that still feels closeted inside me. For the inner child that remembers feeling alone and alien in school.
0: Well, America, it's up to you to decide. Whose side are you on? Are you on the side of parents who don't want their kids to be sexualized in school? Or are you on the side of a grown adult in blue face paint who refers to himself as big gay baby? Which way will it be, Western man? Which path will lead us to flourishing and prosperity? But it wasn't just the drag queens who came out to defend grooming. We know that the, you know, the drag queen community, these are the, the nation's loudest and most prominent advocates for child abuse. But they're not alone, certainly. Um, teachers also came to testify. Here's one woman describing a recent conversation she had with her students. Listen. Mrs T, which is what they called me, Mrs T, are you a boy or are you a girl? Should I really have shut that conversation down?
2: Should I have shut it down so that the students, the five students that after that conversation came out to me, didn't know that it was okay? Should I have been punished for having that conversation? Those are not my kids. Those are your kids. And they knew that they could come to me for that acceptance and that love.
0: Uh, Yes, exactly. You're damn right. Those are not your kids, Mrs. T. But to answer your question, Mrs. T, no, you don't need to shut down any conversation where students ask if you're a boy or a girl. You don't need to shut down that conversation. No one is saying that you need to shut down that conversation. The legislation that you're tearfully protesting wouldn't require you to shut down that conversation. When you're asked that kind of question by the young kids in your class, you can simply say, uh, I'm a girl. Very easy. It's not difficult. Now, if you, despite being female, assuming that you are female, that's what it appears, uh, if you, despite being being female, self-identify as male or as some nonsense like non-binary, then you should not be able to talk to the kids about that. Right, You should be able to tell them your biological identity. Yes, I'm a girl. If you identify as something else, you should not be able to tell them that. Why is that? Well, because your actual biological identity as female is a fact of nature. It's a reality. Facts and reality are the kinds of things we want to teach to our kids in school. That's, That's why schools exist. Okay, They exist to teach kids facts about the world. They don't teach... Uh, they, they don't exist as a, as a, a forum for you to I- express yourself individually and talk to kids about your own self-expression exp- and self-perceptions. That's not why the, the students are sent to school. Your self-identity as something apart from your biological sex is not a fact. It is not a reality. It is ideological. It is fantastical. So therefore, it doesn't belong in the classroom. Separation of church and state. Isn't that what you people always say? Well, your religious belief that the spirit of a man or of a they then can somehow be mysteriously trapped within the physical frame of a woman or vice versa must be separated from, from your job as an educator employed by the state. She claims that five students came out to her after they had this conversation. Uh, journalist Greg Price, who posted all these uh, clips from, from the hearing, and, and you should follow him on Twitter, by the way, he's got a lot of good stuff. He reports that uh, this woman is a fourth grade teacher. So five fourth graders came out of the closet to her on the spot, according to her. You might assume that she's making this up, which is usually a safe assumption. These people lie about everything. But the scary thing is that in this case, she's very likely telling the truth. This is actually what's going on in elementary schools. And it's all by design. It's the result that the groomers have engineered. Their LGBT indoctrination campaign has been so effective that now, by their own testimony... Young, prepubescent children are coming out of the closet en masse in the middle of class. There are many other teachers and LGBT activists speaking out, often howling and screeching like the sounds you might hear if you were lost in the jungle at night. We'll play one other clip. This is a self-identified they-them, or no, no, I'm sorry, a self-identified he-they, he-they, who, uh, so this is a he, but then also a they, who insists that the failure to groom children will lead to suicide. We're used to this claim, we've heard it many times, and here it is again
2: i identify as a trans male and i moved to i'm not a louisiana native i moved here five short years ago and in that five short years this place has become my home i love this state i moved here for the culture and the people but this bill fosters an unsafe environment for all children i keep hearing that we're trying to protect children but instead we're trying to harm them this bill will As we've heard from other people on suicide rates, this bill will directly impact children and cause them suicidality. The blood of trans youth will be on your hands.
0: Oh, really? Is that the case, he, they? Well, uh, so you're saying we need to have preferred pronouns in school and constant conversations about gender identity and sexual orientation, or there will be mass suicides, you say. Okay, then. That's certainly a theory. That's a theory. And like any theory, it makes predictions. This is how you test a theory. A theory is going to make predictions about the world. Where we could say, well, if this theory is correct, then we should be able to observe XYZ out in the world if this theory is correct. And then you can go and see, do I observe that? And if I don't observe it, there's something wrong with the theory. The prediction that this theory makes is that as schools become more open and accepting of preferred pronouns and of gender identities and so on, the suicide rate goes down. And since school and society in general are certainly more open and accepting of these things now than they were 10 years ago or at any other point in history, we should find that the suicide rate has gone down over time as acceptance and openness of these things has gone up. But is that what we find? Well, let's check with Pew. Pew has this report. The share of high school students who experienced what is known as suicidality, which includes suicidal thoughts, plans, and attempts, increased from 2011 to 2021, according to new data from the CDC. Separately, the CDC also found that after a brief two-year decline in 2019 and 2020, the total number of suicide deaths increased in 2021, especially among people of color. Overall, 22% of high school students in the recent survey, 22% said they had seriously considered suicide within the past year, up from 16% in 2011. 18% said that they made a suicide plan, and 10% said they attempted suicide at least once, compared with 13% and 8% respectively 10 years earlier. All demographic groups across race, ethnicity, and sex experienced increases in suicide risk since 2011. That is a very significant 6% increase from 2011. But in 2011, nobody was talking about preferred pronouns. Nobody was talking about that in 2011. There was very little discussion of gender identity or transgenderism. It is simply undeniable that schools especially are far more welcoming and accepting of these kinds of things and these ideas uh, today than they were 13 years ago. And yet suicide has gone up significantly from 13 years ago. Your theory makes a false prediction. Your theory is therefore false. But truth obviously is not the point. The point is more this. Here's a report uh, published just yesterday in The Hill. It says, quote, about one in four high school students identify as LGBTQ according to other data from the CDC. One in four. This was released on Thursday using data from 2021. In 2021, 75.5% of high school students identified as heterosexual, the CDC's Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance System found. Among high school students, 12.2% identified as bisexual, 5.2% as questioning, 3.9% as other, 3.2% as gay or lesbian, and 1.8% said they didn't understand the question. The, uh, Okay. Um, the CDC says the, the number of, uh, of LGBTQ students went from 11% in 2015 to 26% in 2021. 25% of current high school students identify as LGBT. An 11% increase from the high school demographics just eight years ago. It is a 150% increase over the millennial generation. It's 10 times the number of self-identified uh, LGBT people in the baby boom generation and 20 times the number. In the generation before that, this is the result they're after. It's why they so passionately defend their right to groom and sexualize children. This is all part of the most widespread and systematic brainwashing campaign the world has ever seen. They are not interested in merely giving LGBT kids, quote unquote, space to express themselves. They are creating the LGBT kids. That's what they're upset about. That's why they show up and they protest these bills because it's going to interfere with their ability to create another generation, another crop of LGBT kids. The school system has become a factory assembly line where new LGBT members are manufactured. Or perhaps the more accurate illustration is a massive cult commune with hundreds of satellites all over the country where children are systematically indoctrinated and, and then inducted Into the LGBT cult. It's happening right in front of our eyes, right now. And the results will be and have been catastrophic for the country and the human race. In conclusion, get your kids out of the public school system. Just get them the hell out, whatever it takes. Now let's get to our five headlines. If you don't know uh, where your meat comes from, then you should change the way you buy meat today. And uh, the way to do that is by using our friends, Good Ranchers, because they take this incredibly seriously. You deserve meat that you can confidently serve to your family without fear of what's in it. You also deserve delicious meat with unmatched quality. You deserve all of that. I personally subscribe to Good Ranchers. Not only is their meat fantastic, but they're also giving you free bacon for a year—a $240 value. That's a pound and a half of bacon in every box. In fact, just two days ago, I got my most recent Good Ranchers uh, delivery, and we're—we uh, have it on the—we get it every six weeks. Uh, we have it coming in, so we, we should be good for the next six weeks. Good Ranchers offers a price lock guarantee. Just another great way to beat inflation. Their products are unlike any other, I can tell you from experience. They're all-natural burgers, USDA prime steaks, and better-than-organic chicken have changed my standard for great meat and will change yours, too. You can use my code Walsh for an extra $20 off your order. How can American meat get any better? Well, Good Ranchers has already donated over 1 million meals to local food banks, and they're just getting started. Support American farms and ranchers with Good Ranchers today. Head to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code Walsh for $20 off your box. Free bacon, great meat. Secure price, a bonus $20 off today. You can't lose. It's a win-win situation. That's promo code Walsh at GoodRanchers.com. GoodRanchers.com. American meat delivered. Well, we're going to get into something uh, really upsetting here after coming out of something pretty upsetting. So let's break it up just a little bit with uh, some good news. Last week, as you know, um, on this show, demonetized on YouTube, hacked. Everything's falling apart. The left is celebrating my demise. Today, I just got word, my team uh, sent me the screenshot of the Spotify charts, and we have the number one ranked podcast in our category on all of Spotify, uh, number one news and commentary podcast on the website. We're, uh, I think, 17 overall among all podcasts, highest we've ever ranked on the platform, um, and significantly so, I believe. So thank you for all of that, um, You know, the SPG, everybody in the audience. I often say that you can't be canceled unless you consent to it that they can't cancel me unless I go along with it. Um, And that's true, but there's another part of that equation that I should acknowledge, because, and that's the reason, right? The reason why they can't cancel me without my consent, and the reason is you. As as long as I have your support, there's nothing these people can really do, um, because they can't force you to stop supporting me or anybody else. They can't, they, they might try, this is, this, is, this is part of the game, and that's really what the canceling is all about, at least if you're someone in the public eye with a platform. Canceling is all about trying to, it's taking platforms away, but it's also trying to convince the audience, like, well, don't, don't listen to this person, it's a horrible person. And that's, what, and that's when the canceling actually works, when they can convince you to go, to go, to stop listening, to go somewhere else, to stop supporting. That's when the canceling actually happens. But they can't force that. They can't force, as much as they would like to, they can't force it. Um, so as long as I have that, you know, we're a team and and uh, and they can't stop it. And the reason why I can, I could be canceled if I went along with the cancellation, the reason why uh, I could be canceled if I apologized and backpedaled is that I would lose your support, and I should, you know? If I were to, to sit here and uh, because I can't take the pressure anymore and uh, I don't want to be attacked anymore and all the rest of it and uh, whatever, and I were to sit here and, and apologize uh, and pledge to reform my ways so that I'm so that I'm more in line with what the left wants me to be. If I were to do that, um, then you guys should abandon me because I, I will have betrayed you. I won't be li- worth listening to anymore um, or following, and that's the case for anyone. once Once the apology happens, the apology, you know, cow- ca- uh, uh, cowering before the cancellation mob and apologizing. And we've seen it so many times. And what makes it so tragic is that when the person does that, this is why I've, I've said many times, like, I can't defend you anymore. I want to defend you, but now that you've done that, I can't. Because I'm defending, how am I going to defend you and the things that you say and the positions you take if you won't even do it? Um, and if I were to do the same thing, which would never happen, but if it did, then uh, then you'd have no choice but to say, well, that's that's unfortunate, but we can't listen to that guy anymore. So, anyway, I don't want to make this sound like an Oscar speech. I want to thank the fans and God. But, uh, but anyway, I do want to thank the fans and God. Um, all right. This is from the Daily Wire. Officials in the Netherlands are expanding the availability of life termination for children between 1 and 12 years of age. I told you we're getting into something upsetting, and it's about upset, as upsetting as it gets. The European nation will soon permit doctors to euthanize children deemed to have conditions which will lead to hopeless and unbearable suffering, according to an announcement from the Dutch government released earlier this month. Officials claim that the uh, new policy only concerns a small group of terminally ill children whose uh, palliative care options are not sufficient to relieve their suffering and who are expected to die in the foreseeable future. This is a very complex subject that deals with very harrowing situations, Situations you wouldn't wish on anyone, Dutch health minister Ernst Coopers said in the the announcement, I am pleased that after intensive consultation with all parties involved, we have come to a solution with which we can help these terminally ill children, their parents and also their practitioners. um, Help the terminally ill children by killing them, is what he's saying, and killing them against their will. Okay, now consent does not make euthanasia okay. That's why I'm 100% absolutely opposed to euthanasia across the board for adults also. But at least you know, with, with adults, there is uh, there is the possibility that they can consent to it. With a, a one-year-old, it's obviously no consent. So this is something that you're doing against the child's will, killing a child um, and doing it for their own sake. Now, of course, they say... They say that, while well, this is only for terminally ill children uh, and uh, unbearable suffering. Death is, for, is in the foreseeable future. Even if the, it, it was relegated only to the most extreme cases of terminal illness, it would still be unfathomably horrifying. But we also know that... Uh, it's it's never relegated to the area that that they first claim. It never works that way. As I've said many times, the uh, on the left, the left, leftism, progressivism, it's it is like a cancer. It progresses like cancer. It might start small in this area, but it spreads and it grows, and and that always happens. Um, the slippery slope fallacy is not a fallacy. It is a it is an observation of reality, and this is the way that it works. You know we know in. Like like in Canada, there was a time in Canada when uh, euthanasia was only an option for terminally ill people. Well, it's not the case anymore. Keeps getting expanded, expanded, and you can already see them setting the stage for that now. Death is in the foreseeable future. Well, death is in the foreseeable future for everybody. Okay, like we can foresee death for everyone because we're all mortal beings. And, uh, and when, when, you, when you compare our lifespan to the um, entire history of the human race and of the earth, you know, our, our lifespans are like the blink of an eye. So death is in the foreseeable future, even like comparatively the near future for all of us. Unbearable suffering. Well, what is that? Hopeless and unbearable suffering. That's the standard they're putting in place. Well, how do you, how do you qualify unbearable? What is unbearable? Especially when we're talking about children. So you're making that determination for them. Hopeless. That's the most subjective standard you could possibly put in place. Hopeless according to you. But that's that's precisely the, the point. That if you are an advocate of euthanasia, it's because you don't see any point or hope in life, period. This is nihilism. But there's always hope. I mean, what 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 are we claiming that that it's hopeless? There is no hope so long as death is in the future. Well, then there's no hope for any of us. Then we should all get you know. Punt, we should all take the uh, take the ticket and, and 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 head out of town. There's no hope for any of us, and that is that is where this heads eventually. Like eventually, this is this is nihilism. This is eugenics. This is uh, the anti-human agenda, the anti-life agenda. And ultimately, that's what they would like to. They'd like to have euthanasia uh, available for everybody of all ages. Um, that and it's an option that can be taken casually, for no real specific reason. As, as I said, it's already basically what's happening in Canada. I think there was uh, what was it? Futurama had uh, one episode where they the, the vision of the you know the future where there was suicide booths that you could just walk in, go to a, like a telephone booth, and it commits and you know be killed. That's, that's basically where we're headed. Um, hopeless because they say that it's hopeless. Yeah. That's what they say, but doesn't make it true. But there's always hope in life. As long as you have life, there's, there's hope, there's purpose. And even when they're suffering, like, there's always suffering in life. We all, we all suffer. Uh, people that have serious illnesses are suffering in a, in a, to a much greater degree. But the fact of suffering does not remove hope. It doesn't mean that there's no point to living anymore. Now, you know, we often as- assume that say this is the anti-life agenda. It's also the anti-God agenda, and those two things go hand in hand. Um, you know, you're in favor of euthanasia because you don't believe in God. You don't see any purpose to life, and that's true. Like that is what what this is rooted in. But it doesn't even make sense from that perspective. Like, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to imagine and put myself in the mindset of an atheist. But I think that if I was an atheist, I, I might be even more opposed to euthanasia. Well, I, I couldn't be possibly be more opposed. To it. I'm as opposed to it as you could possibly be. But but in that case, then what's after life? There's nothing. It's nothingness after life. After this, there's just, you, you are going into the abyss. This is all you have, really. The idea of giving up on that, that's even, that's, that's, also an argument for continuing to live as long as you have it and making use of of all the time that you have life, even if they're suffering. So really, no matter what angle you inspect this from, it's horrifying. Um, But it's also, as I said, to be be expected. And in a culture all across the Western world and uh, across the world generally where there's abortion, abortion is legalized, um, this is essentially a version of post this is post-birth abortion which many conservatives have been have been warning about that as well we've been telling you that's where this is headed just like we've been saying um much of what's happening with the with the uh with the left's agenda with sexuality and gender you know it's headed towards and has now become this open campaign to sexualize children and we were told for years that that's crazy it's slippery slope it's not going to happen well look and we've also been saying that the pro-abortion agenda will lead eventually to, to actual post-birth abortion. And why does it lead to that? Well, because the, the, the pro-abortion agenda rests on the assumption that human life has no value. There's no, real, there's no real inherent value to it. That the value of human life is contingent on other factors. Um, that other people can decide whether a child's life is, is, is worthwhile. That's what, that's what the pro-abortion agenda is. And this is a logical extension of that. There's not any logical reason. If abortion is permissible morally and legally up to the moment of birth, there's actually not any moral or logical or legal reason, not any coherent reason anyway, why that should be the cutoff. Why is birth the cutoff? Totally arbitrary. Birth is a Birth is not the creation of a person person doesn't come into being in that moment. It's just that the person changes locations, goes from one location to another. That's all that happens. And so if that child's life, a second before emerging from the birth canal, is fundamentally worthless and hopeless, which anyone who supports abortion, that's what they think, uh, then it remains so after birth and for the entirety of a person's life. And um, and then youth, euthanasia becomes permissible. So this is where it's headed. Uh, a lawmaker in Montana who has been leading the charge against gender mutilation in, in the state um, stood up to address the claim that we talked about in the opening monologue, that you know, we, we have to have gender transitions for children so that they don't kill themselves. And this lawmaker a Republican was addressing that claim, talking about her own experiences as a parent. And she has some direct experience with this kind of thing. Uh, this clip has been circulating online with leftists talking about how uh, terrible and horrifying it is. And it's the worst thing ever. This woman is a monster. Chris Hayes from MSNBC uh, posted it. And there's wide agreement on the left anyway that what you're about to witness from this woman is terrible. And she's an evil, terrible person. But we'll play the clip and uh, you decide. Here it is.
2: One of the big issues that we have heard today and we've talked about Lately, is that, that without surgery, the risk of suicide goes way up. Well, I am one of those parents who lived with a daughter who was suicidal for three years. Someone once asked me, wouldn't I just do anything to help save her? And I really had to think. And the answer was, no. I was not... Going to give in to her man- emotional manipulation because she was incapable of making those decisions, and I had to make those decisions for her. I was not going to let her tear apart my family, and I was not going to let her tear apart me because I had to be strong for her. I had to have a vision for her life when she had none, was incapable of having none. I was lost. I was scared. I spent hours on the floor in prayer. Because I didn't know that when I woke up if my daughter was going to be alive or not. But I knew that I had to make those right decisions for her so that she would have a precious, successful adulthood at that time.
0: Um. We're supposed to hear that and think that she's a terrible mother, and and when actually what she's describing is obviously the correct response in the situation that she was in. Clearly, I mean, you know, the, the the key line there is she says, as a mother, I had to have a vision. I had to have a vision for her life when she had none, and that's exactly correct. That is that as as parents, that is our job. Our kids are. Confused. They don't understand. They, get, they do. They become emotional. They get lost. They get, and in this case, the worst case scenario, they get sucked into this, this cult. They have no vision. They have no idea what's going on. A child who's lost in the cult has, has no clue what's going on. Totally lost in the dark. And so you are the guiding light. Okay. And what you have to say to your child is: here's the light over here. Follow me. And what your child is going to say, especially when they're very lost is is they're going to say, no, I don't want to go there. Okay, you only want me to go there because you hate me. Follow me instead and deeper into the darkness. You, you can't do that. That's not how you save your child. You don't, you don't say, well, okay, you know what's best. Let's just, here, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll turn the light off and we'll wander around in the dark together. Getting more lost and more lost. That's what apparently the one people criticizing here. That's what they think is the correct response. No, you have to be strong, and uh, you also cannot, as a parent. That's correct. You cannot give in to the emotional manipulations of your children, and when they uh, and so many parents have gone through this, and it, I, I can't even imagine. It's it, one of the worst things you can experience as a parent. But when you have a child who is saying, you now a, a daughter who's saying, "I'm a boy, I want to transition. Get me the drugs. Get me the surgery." Okay, Uh, call me by this name that I made up, not the name you gave me and have called me since I was a baby. You know, don't call me by that. Call me by this new name, this ridiculous name I've come up with. Uh, You know, your daughter's gone now. I'm a son. Embrace me as a son. And if you don't do that, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to run away from home. Now, what the left says is that that when your child says it to you, you're supposed to say, okay, whatever you want. I'll do anything you want. Even if it hurts you, I will do it. Well, no, because these people don't know anything about being a parent. They don't know anything about being a a good, loving parent. These people are just monsters. They're They're either insane or monsters, if you think that that is what parents are really supposed to do in that situation. I can understand why parents do it, as they, they they give in to the pressure. They don't know how to handle it. They're they're confused themselves. They're scared. So I I, I understand how parents can. Um, and then they and then they they go. They, maybe they take their child to a counselor and they go to a counselor themselves. And then they don't realize that many of these counselors are um, not on their side. And then the counselors even start saying to them, "Well, yeah, you have to go along with this, or your child's going to kill." herself and that blood, her blood's going to be on your hands. I mean, that's, if you're not prepared to hear something like that and you don't really understand what's going on yourself and you hear that, it, it's uh, it's quite an incentive to do what you know is wrong. Um, but in truth, as the parent, you have to be, even when it's difficult, especially when it's difficult, you, you have to be the the lighthouse, Right, you have to be the lighthouse in the in the raging storm. You you stand there in the light, saying, "Here here's the way. Come here." You have to be that. If if you won't, then 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 all is lost. Your only hope, the only hope for your child, is for you to be firm and steady. And that's clearly what she was trying to express. All right lighten the mood a little bit. I haven't followed the NBA in a long time. You know, I, I gave up uh, on the NBA when they went full BLM. Um, and that's also when I gave up on LeBron James. People maybe will be surprised by this, but I was actually a big LeBron James fan for a long time. Uh, I just, as an athlete, I was a big fan of his. To my shame, I was up until about three years ago uh, when he really went full BLM. So anyway, I don't watch anymore, but this one moment jumped out at me as it's gone viral. The, um, the playoffs have started, I guess, and the Milwaukee Bucks were just eliminated. And their star player, Giannis, with a last name I won't even attempt, was asked about whether the season was a failure because they got eliminated from the playoffs. And uh, and this is one of the very rare moments when an athlete in a post-game press conference says something worthwhile and interesting. But uh, here it is. Let's watch. Do you view this season as a failure? <sighs> oh, my God.
1: Uh, okay, because I'm not that... up. You asked me the same question last year, Eric, okay, uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure, yes or no? No. Every, every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right, which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able, I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents, you work towards a goal. It's not a failure, it's steps to success. You know, and if you've never, I don't, know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it personal. So there's always steps to it. You know, Michael um, Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question: yes or no? no, I mean, I don't think so, no. Okay, exactly. So why are you ask me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days, some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful, some days you're not. Some days it's your turn, some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports is about. You don't always win. Some other, other people are going to win. And this year somebody else is going to win. Similar as that. We're going to come back next year, try to be better, try to build good habits, try to um, play better, not have 10 days stretch with uh, playing bad basketball. You know, and hopefully we can win a championship so 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship it was 50 years of failures no it was not it was steps to it you know and we were able to win one hopefully we can win another one you know i sorry that i didn't want to make it personal because you asked me the same question last year and uh, last year i was in the in the Good. Uh, that's
0: a. That's good stuff. I, I like that. Cause it's a very—it's a dad speech. That is, uh, and that's what I do. It's like my entire show. But that's—it's it's, uh, that is. I can imagine. I don't know if he's a father or not, but he'll—he'll he'll make a very good father if he's not, because that's—that's uh, that's like the speech. It not like a, a father talking to his son, just lost, you know, uh, coming home from from little league, and he's giving the speech to him. And I think it's very good. And also, it—it's as I said, it, rare to hear something eloquent and interesting from an athlete in a post-game press. Usually, all they do is mumble clichés. You know, they were out playing with all this energy, and then for some reason, when they get in front of cameras, they can barely speak. And it's, then it's just, yeah, you know, uh, we fought hard out there, and uh, the other team fought hard. And uh, take my hat off to him, tip my cap, got to tip my cap, just taking my hat off to him, take my hat off to the other guys, really taking my hat off. For some reason, every athlete in every major sport has glommed on to this one cliche about taking their hat off. I'm not really sure. It's, it's, it's funny. It's a funny one, too, because it harkens back to. Victorian-era chivalry where men tip their top hats when a lady walks by. And this is what we're supposed to imagine these seven-foot lumbering dudes uh, are doing. But anyway, um, I think it's, uh, it's an important lesson, and it's really what we were, what we were talking about earlier in the week about the, uh, the rocket explosion for SpaceX, that if you're pursuing a goal and you don't achieve it, but you learn from the failure and you get better, and you keep up the pursuit, then it's not a failure. The only true failure is the failure to try at all. And I know that that sounds like a cliche too, but and maybe it is, but it's true. Um, There are people out there who we could unfortunately describe as failures. There are a lot of people out there these days, sadly, who we could say are failures. These are failures of human beings. Um, But we only can label them failures because they didn't Try to do anything. They didn't try anything. They didn't pursue anything. They didn't have any goals that they went out and chased. Um, they didn't do that. They didn't do anything because they were afraid and because it takes too much effort. And um, and they took the path of least resistance. And that's a failure. That's a failure of a person. So that's a person who's failing, failing every day to try. But if you're pursuing your goals, even if you don't reach them every single time, not a failure overall. So, going from an admirable sports star to someone who is uh, not that, Brittany Griner did a press conference also yesterday, and she was asked a bunch of questions. She was also asked about men playing against women in uh, women's sports. I'm I'm not sure if she's this is the first time she's chimed in on this subject of trans and sports and all that. Her answer will not surprise you, though. Uh, Let's listen to that.
1: Brittany, I'm uh, Bill Roden from ESPN Anscape, and it's really great to see you. It's good to know the prayers have been answered. Um, the question, um, you've always represented so much throughout your entire career about access and you know, being able to do stuff, and I hate to put one more thing on your plate, but there, there are a number of states who are aggressively moving to prevent transgender athletes playing. And I was wondering, again, I hate to put one more thing on your plate, but in terms of you're on your radar, where is that, um, you're going to have a tremendous platform, but where is that going to be on your Radar in terms of advocating for, um, you know, athletes, all athletes, transgender athletes, to be able to play.
0: Oh, I mean that that ranks high on the on the list of, of things that I'll be fighting for and speaking up against. You know, everyone has everyone deserves the right to play. Everyone deserves the right to to come here, sit in these seats, and feel safe and not feel um, like there's a threat or they can't be who they are or um, like. Like it's just all eyes on them, uh, so um, I think it's a crime, honestly, to to separate um, someone for any reason. Um, so I definitely will be speaking up against against those that legislation and those laws that are trying to be passed for sure. That's the first time I've heard her speak. Um, I think I. Well, I'm not surprised that she's in favor of men playing women's sports. But the, uh, even before the, the answer, because that's actually the first time I listened to that clip. I didn't, I didn't even listen to this clip. I assumed. I knew that it was, this was her chiming in on the trans sports thing. And I knew that she would be in favor. Of of course, she is. Uh, but the, the question, could you grovel any more to this person? My God, a little bit of self-respect you can't simply ask the question as an espn these espn reporters they're so terrified okay especially now talking to Brittany Griner you got to be they're terrified that they might say anything that seems disrespectful somehow so we couldn't simply say uh, what do you make of the trans trans and sports issue what, what's your take on that instead it's well, listen, uh, Brittany, I, 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 I don't want to put more on your plate. I understand that there's so much going on in your life and, and you're, you're very, very important and you've done so many things and, you, and, you've, and you've suffered and you've overcome them and you're very heroic. I just was wondering if I could possibly ask you this one question uh, about trans people in sports. But if you don't want to answer that's totally fine. I know there's a lot on your plate, but if you wouldn't mind maybe answering it, please, I just wanted to know. And, but I could also leave if you don't want to answer That's also fine too. I could leave. I could quit my job if, that, if you want me to. I could also do that. My God, man. No self-respect. But I guess that's a, that is right now a prerequisite at this point to work at ESPN. You cannot be a self-respecting journalist or person uh, to, to work there. And Bernie Greiner says it's yes to keep, to say that um, males should compete in their category and women in their own is, a, it's a criminal, it's a crime, in fact. Not a surprising answer there. Let's get to our comment section. If you've been thinking about uh, going back to school to finish your degree or are you just starting your college journey but have little time to be in person with classes, Grand Canyon University's online programs are designed to make earning your degree easy and accessible no matter your age or stage in life. Whether you're a busy professional looking to advance your career or a stay-at-home parent struggling family responsibilities, their online courses give you the flexibility you need to learn on your own terms. Grand Canyon University specializes in helping you fit your bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree into your busy day from scholarships to customized scheduling. Your graduation uh, team led by your own GCU counselor provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. So why wait? If you're ready to take your education to the next level, you need to visit Grand Canyon university, find your purpose at Grand Canyon university, visit gcu.edu. That's gcu.edu. Lonnie says Matt might get fat phobe of the year next. Well, that's a goal. That's a goal. I, we we're just talking about, you got to set goals for yourself and uh, pursue them, you know, lay down your marker, call your shot, go for it. You don't make it. It's not a failure because you tried. And uh, that is a title. I, w- I would like to add that. I'd like to add that to my, uh, that's another plaque I would like to put on the wall, fat film of the year. That would be great. Um, Luke says, you can make judgments about a person without judging them, almost as if MF haven't been to court. Case in point, a drug addict will most likely be unreliable, but that doesn't mean that's who they are as a person, especially when they find the help they need. Stop being whiny babies, make judgments, and if people take them to heart, perhaps they'll change themselves. Right, I think you're, you're drawing the distinction here between you can make judgments about a person's behavior and their character and, and all of that without judging them as a person, which is true. But it's also true that you know maybe the, the distinction between making a judgment about a person's character and behavior and making a judgment of them personally, that distinction is uh, that's a very fine distinction. And maybe, you know, in practice, it's sort of irrelevant. Um, you know, there's this, we often hear that, well, the Bible says, love the sin, uh, or, you know, sorry, hate the sin, love the sinner is what the Bible says. It's claimed. And then that, that sometimes will turn into um, judge the sin, not the sinner. The thing is that neither of those verses are actually in the Bible, that's those are not biblical verses. That, that's a kind of an interpretation people have come up with, and now they assume that it's directly in the Bible when it's not. Um, it is true that we are not the ultimate judge over anyone, anyone's life or over their soul. We can't judge somebody's soul. We can't see inside their soul, inside their minds. Only God can do that. So we cannot judge in the way that God judges, obviously. But we can still make judgments, uh, we have to be able to make judgments. as we talked about yesterday, that every second of the day you're making some kind of judgment. Anytime you make a choice, you're judging. You made that choice because you judged that to be the best choice. You might have judged wrongly. Very often we judge wrongly when we make choices, but you're still making a judgment. And that can relate to people, too. Um, you can make judgments about, again, the things that they do. And we could say, well, that was the wrong thing. You shouldn't do that. But you can go deeper and you can make a judgment about a person's character, about the sort of person that they are. And we all make those judgments also, all the time. So any I, any, any notion that we can't judge at all or that we shouldn't judge is just, uh, it's not only biblically false if anyone claims that it's rooted in the Bible, it's also, it's, it's incoherent. It's not possible. It's not possible to live that way. Um, L. Boogie Daman says, she's right, I'm actively losing weight through diet and exercise. I'm afraid of dying from complications from obesity at an early age. At my largest, I was 245 pounds and I'm currently down to 203 pounds. My goal is 180 pounds and I'm 5 foot 10 inches tall. Since cutting weight, more women approach me and my friends and family compliment my looks. I am very fat phobic and proud of it. Well, we know from the weight neutral wellness advisor yesterday, that that's, uh, that's, that is that's that is an internalized kind of self-fat phobia. That is an internal fat phobia that you're struggling from. But you also are a perfect example of why they have this fat acceptance agenda in the first place. Because when they see someone like yourself taking steps to improve your life, uh, feeling better, looking better, and they see that it makes them feel bad about themselves, and we can all relate to that on some level. Like I, I have have gone through a little bit of a lazy stretch right now, personally. I have the you know we just had twins and so I got a lot going on in life. I have that as my excuse, um, but it's an excuse, and excuses are excuses. But uh, I haven't been in the gym in a little while. I'm feeling kind of you know I, like I got I got to get back into it. And so when I see someone on Twitter or on social media who's talking about oh, I just started to diet, I'm back in the gym. It makes me feel a little bit bad about myself. I have a moment of oh man, that makes me feel kind of bad. But that's that's good. That's that's that is a, a judgment of myself that I should be making. And I can, I can either say, well, that makes me feel bad about myself, so you shouldn't say that anymore, and you shouldn't live that way because of how it makes me feel. Or I can take that as motivation to self-improvement. Um, And I think I know which way is the the better way to go. If you, along with uh, tens of millions of people, watch Netflix's hit show, Making a Murderer, then you are going to love Daily Wire Plus's new exclusive 10-part series with Candace Owens convicting a murderer coming this summer. Making a Murderer was the gripping tale of a... Stephen Avery, a man wrongly convicted of sexual assault in 1985, and then just two years after his release, accused of a gruesome murder, the series suggested that Avery was innocent and set up by uh, by the uh, sheriff department. There, it made his conviction feel like a significant miscarriage of American justice, as millions of people rallied behind Avery, passionately claiming that the truth will come out. But what if the truth is even more shocking than anyone expected? What if the media only showed us what they wanted us to see? As you know, Candace Owens is a fierce advocate for the truth, and she's diving headfirst into the notorious Stephen Avery case. In her new series, Convicting a Murderer, she's disclosing the shocking parts of Avery's story that were omitted in the Netflix series. Is there an innocent man behind bars, or did the real miscarriage of justice happen when Hollywood decided to get involved in the case? Find out this summer in our new explosive 10-part series, Convicting a Murderer, exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. But don't wait until then to sign up. Right now, you can get 35% off your membership with code TRUTH. This offer won't be available for long, so become a member today. And be here when the truth finally comes out. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. It's always going to be somewhat redundant and maybe a bit cheap to use the uh, howling banshees of The View as fodder for the daily cancellation. That show could be harvested for this segment every day if I wanted to. But then nobody else would ever get a chance to be canceled. And that simply wouldn't be fair. Today, though, I must revoke the usual cancellation pass I give to The View. Because this one is uh, too cancellation worthy to pass up. From the Daily Wire, quote, Whoopi Goldberg suggested on Thursday that the Bible would support parents having the right to subject their minor children to sex reassignment surgeries. Goldberg made the comments during Thursday's broadcast of ABC Midday Talk Show, The View, following a conversation about a trans-identifying Montana lawmaker who faced disciplinary action for breaking the rules of decorum. Representative Zoe Zafire, which we can guarantee is not his actual name, a biological male who identifies as female, lashed out of Republican colleagues who opposed transgender surgeries for minors. Quote, I hope the next time that there's an invocation, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. The GOP-controlled House voted to censure uh, Zephyr, Zephyr is the name, barring the lawmaker from appearing in the House, but allowing votes to rem- uh, by remote through the end of the current legislative session. Goldberg and co-host Sonny uh, Hostin criticized the move, however, claiming it was proof that Republicans were banning speech. Whoopi then turned to the argument that had gotten Zephyr banned over a bill that would ban transgender surgeries for minors and claimed that if the GOP believed in parental rights, then parents should be able to consent to life-altering and irreversible procedures for their children. Here's uh, what Whoopi had to say. Watch
2: my God, this is a party that says we believe in parents' rights. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that as a parent, I don't, I'm not smart enough to decide if my child and I need to have gender affirming, our uh. doctors are not involved. The, what is going So I can't, my, I can't decide what my kid reads. I can't decide yep. for my child what my child says is going on. Yep. You're telling me your beliefs, your and they keep saying it, and I keep saying, what Bible are you reading? Yeah. Because God was really
1: clear. Very clear.
0: Yes, we'll be exactly right. God was really clear. This could not have been more clear. From the book of Genesis, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. At the very beginning of the book, we are given three essential facts about the human race. Uh, these are the first three things that we are told. First, that God made us and determined our sex for us. There's nothing here about choosing our identity for, our, for ourselves sometime after we're born. Um, God gives us our identity. Okay? So it's not it wasn't that uh that Adam was created and then God said, oh, "Uh Adam, how how do you identify? What is oh, non-binary." That didn't happen. God gives us our identity, and there are two broad identity groups, male and female, a binary system. No other options are mentioned. Finally, third, we're told that males and females are meant to pair up and reproduce. The first commandment, the very first commandment given by God is not the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. The first commandment given by God to human beings, the very first instruction is to be fruitful and multiply. You brought up the Bible. I'm telling you what it says. And there is, it turns out, nothing in the Bible, not one passage in the Old or New Testament that even hints at the possibility of changing or choosing our sex. There is no mention of anything resembling the modern-day notion of gender identity, and that's because the notion of, modern, of gender identity wouldn't be invented until about 1900 years after the last book in the Bible was written. doesn't matter how creative you are or how heretical you're willing to be, you cannot proof-text your way into a biblical defense of transgenderism and gender transition. It's not possible. And this is the part where if you're a leftist, you drastically switch course, accusing me of being a Bible thumper, imposing my religious worldview on you. I know how the game is played. This is how it's played. You want to pretend that recognition of the binary the you know, in the, in the biological nature of sex is somehow religious. You want to believe that our recognition of this reality is rooted in blind faith. And so you bring up the Bible and make erroneous claims about what it says. We correct you. And then you accuse us of trying to use the Bible to prove our point, even though you're the one who brought it up. Every argument from the left, especially on this topic, is a sleight of hand trick. And this one is their favorite trick to pull. Now, what about Whoopi's claim that child mutilation is a matter of parental rights? Needless to say, she doesn't actually care about parental rights and opposes such rights in almost all other circumstances. Her concern for parental rights is about as genuine as her concern for fidelity to Scripture. But she does inadvertently... um, Raise an interesting and important point. And you know, I believe in parental rights. I've always been a strong advocate for such rights. But as conservatives, we make a mistake when we root our entire argument on this topic in parental rights. When we when we do what the Louisiana GOP has done by insisting that children should be referred to as their biological sex unless their parents say it's okay for them to identify as something other than their biological sex. That is not the right approach because the problem with pretending that a boy is a girl isn't just that his parents don't approve, it's that it isn't true. Our position should be rooted in truth. The question of rights is farther downstream. And that's also why, uh, though I believe in parental rights, I don't believe that parents have the right to transition their children. I think you have parental rights, but you don't have the right to do that. No 14-year-old girl should be getting cosmetic double mastectomies, no matter what the girl's parents might say. It's, it's not our position that physical and sexual abuse of a child is wrong unless the parents consent. Our position is that it's, it's wrong, period. And everybody who participates in such evil should go to prison, including and especially the parents. Parental rights, like all rights, are not absolute. We have rights as parents, but we don't have the right to do anything we want as parents. And we can lose our parental rights. They can be revoked if we prove ourselves to be dangerously incompetent, neglectful, or abusive. Therefore, reducing this whole conversation down to parental rights can ultimately end up creating more confusion than clarity, I think. And that's why you know I think we, we might want to start using a different R word. There's another side to the rights coin. And on, and on the other side of it is responsibility. With rights come responsibilities. With responsibilities come rights. You can't have one without the other. Though in our culture, we usually just talk about one and hardly ever the other. We clamor for our rights. We don't like to acknowledge our responsibilities. But that could be clarifying on this issue in particular. Do I have the right to raise my boy as a boy and prevent other adults from trying to groom him into identifying as a girl? Yes, I have that right. Do I have the right to raise my boy as a girl and groom him into that lifestyle myself? No, I don't have that right. I don't have the moral right. I don't have the natural right. I shouldn't have the legal right. So how can I have the right to do the first thing, but not the second? Well, because of responsibility. Okay, because, because the first thing lines up with my responsibility as a parent. And the second doesn't. So let's just drop the rights talk and go right to that. I have the responsibility to raise my boy. I have the responsibility to raise my boy as a boy to help him accept himself for who he really is, to guide him towards manhood, and to protect him from anyone who would want to sow confusion or dysfunction into his mind. I have the responsibility to do that. I am called to do that. I am commanded by God and conscience to do that. And because I have that responsibility, I must also have that right. In other words, I have the right as a parent to fulfill my responsibilities as a parent. I have the right to be a good father to my children. I don't have the right to be an abusive and neglectful father. Those are my rights. But more importantly, my responsibilities. And that's how we should be talking about this issue, I think. And it might help alleviate some of this confusion, though I suspect there is no saving Whoopi Goldberg from uh, her confusion, which is why she is today canceled. Talk to you on Monday. Godspeed.